That'll musical wake you up if you weren't awake already. Hey, hey, welcome. Hey, got your Bibles? Go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 12. And again, if this is your first time with us today, we are going through uh, the book of Genesis together in our series called Origins. And I would like to start, it feels kind of weird, but I would say happy Halloween, but that just feels off to say that from up here, to be quite honest with you. So just welcome. It is Halloween. And I hope that uh, many of you, if not all of you, will be coming out to our Trunk or Treat event tonight here at the church. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you in advance to all of you that are doing booths, that have done donated candy to just make this event just is going to be an awesome thing. So that is tonight and <clears throat> bring out your family, bring out your grandkids. It's going to be indoors this year. So you're going to be walking through the church and it's, it's just the whole church is going to be decorated. It's going to be awesome. So that's tonight and I hope you guys will come. Well, I will tell you this, that we have reached a really a significant part of our series, if you will. The, the first 11 chapters we have covered, we're moving forward today in chapter 12, but in these first 11 chapters, we've learned all about creation. We have learned about how, how Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden because they had sinned. Um, we learn about how Cain kills his brother Abel. It's the very first murder in the Bible. <clears throat> we also learned about how mankind grew very corrupt, very wicked, so much so that God decided to cleanse the earth of all the sinful people with a worldwide flood, saving only Noah and his immediate family. After the flood, we found out that, you know what, even though the world had been destroyed by a flood, guess what's still around? Sin. How do we learn about that? Well, Noah grew a vineyard and, and got drunk off the wine. So sin is still very much a part of this new world as well. Mankind would, be, would repopulate the earth through the descendants of Noah, his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they started to spread out over the world. But we would also learn that uh, the wickedness had grown inside a man's heart as well. And what did they do? They tried to build this great city with this incredible tower growing all the way up into the heavens, but God came down and confused their languages. He put an end to their <coughs> rebellion, and then they continued to spread and populate over the earth. And right there, you have the first 11 chapters chapters of the book of Genesis. And some of you are going, that's the first 11 chapters? You maybe sit through seven sermons for that? Anyway, so, well, hopefully you've learned a few things along the way. But yes, that's uh, the first seven sermons in this series has been the first 11 chapters. And in that time frame, we have seen the Bible to be filled with disobedience, murder, deception, drunkenness, and rebellion. And I don't know if you've ever wondered anything like this before, but have you ever started a statement that said, if I were God, you know what I would do? Have you ever thought something like that? Well, at the end of chapter 11, if you were God, what would you have done? How would you have handled this wickedness and rebellion in the world? Probably if we're being honest, because, you know, we're just earthly and fleshly at times, we'd be like, they're toast, be gone with them. That's kind of our response. But Interestingly enough, when we move into chapter 12, God's got a different kind of response than maybe what we would have had. In, in chapter 12, instead of God destroying mankind all over again, he calls a man and his wife to leave their home and go into a new land that they might give, in doing so, humanity a whole new beginning. This couple would obey God and they will forever, they have been since this day, and they will be forever until the return of Christ known for their obedient faith in God. God is going to work through the lives and the family of Abraham and Sarah, and in doing so, he will bring us the Jewish nation. We would also get the Bible from that, and ultimately, Jesus would come to save the world. 
You know, who knows where we would be today if Abraham and Sarah had chosen not to obey. It's hard to say. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, if you've read it, you know the entire chapter of the Bible is just a big long list of all the Old Testament heroes with little snapshots of why they are remembered and what made them so faithful. I want to share with you what the, the Hebrew writers write about, about Abraham. Chapter 11, verse 8, it just says this, <clears throat> and this will give us kind of a snapshot as to where we are going over the next few weeks. It says in verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would re later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. There's a little snapshot of Abraham's life. And, and, and we start to learn about this in chapter 12. And that's why I say there's a, there's a major transition from the first 11 chapters of the Bible into chapter 12. Because now we're going to start tracking the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is this family that is going to start the process of carrying out God's eternal purpose, his plan for all the nations. So what it's going to feel like in, in, from moving on to this part of the Bible is that God is going to center all of his attention on this one family, these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in saying that, I want you to know that at no point does God ever take his eyes off all the other nations. Remember uh, recently I put a big map of the biblical world back in Genesis 11 and it showed how all the descendants of him, Shem, and, J him, Shem and Japheth, they spread out over the world and they populated the, the, and they created all these other people groups and nations and cultures and cities and they spread all out. Well, it's not like God in Genesis 12 says, they're not important to me anymore. No, 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 far from it. Because all these other nations, they are ultimately a part of God's plan too. But what we will see as we track through the rest of the Old Testament is that all these other nations... They are going to pretty much go on in their rebellious ways. They're going to go in, on in their immorality. And, and quite honestly, and we see this through the rest of the Old Testament, they're going to go on and, and be really still remain a mostly violent group, a violent nation all over the world. But in Genesis chapter 12, starting with Abraham, God is going to give this special attention to his descendants and God is going to bless and care for this family in, in, in really special ways. So God's got a plan, and it really starts to unfold here in Genesis chapter 12. Now, I'm looking out at a lot of people, and I know that some of you in here are people who, when you get a book, 
you go to the last chapter and you read how it ends and then you decide if you want to read the rest of it. Am I right? How many of you are last chapter readers? Thank you for your honesty, okay? You, you flip to the end. You want to know. You know, thanks Dawson. How do you want to, how does this thing want to end? You, you all know this. I'm a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. Anybody not know that? I mean, I'm a huge Chiefs fan. Uh, we do need to, well, let me say this. I say we need to pray for their defense. Um, I'm still working through the theological background that would allow me to pray for an NFL defense. I think it's there. I'm looking for it. So maybe we should pray for them. I don't know. But I'm a huge Chiefs fan. And uh, most Chiefs games start at noon on Sunday. Well, I'm usually a little tied up at noon on Sunday. So what I do is I set my DVR to record the Chiefs game. And most of the time, I'm not done and home till after 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, sometimes even later. So what that means is when I sit down to watch the Chiefs game and I hit play on my DVR and I watch it from the beginning, most of the time that game is almost over when I start. Now, I watch it in real time. Now, you guys know me well enough, and you wonder, why doesn't Pastor Joe respond to my text messages on Sunday? Because some of you are like, how about them Chiefs? And I'm in the first quarter, and you blow it for me, okay? So I turn my phone off on Sunday afternoons till I get done the Chiefs game, and here's why. Because sometimes, occasionally, I find out the score before I get there, because the game's over. And when I learn the outcome of the Chiefs game, like when I'm in the first quarter, it's a huge letdown because this is one of those times I don't want to know how it ends. And when I find out the score, I'm like, ah, fast forward to the end. Oh, game over. Because it's letdown. But, but let me tell you something. It's not like that with the Bible. When you know where all this is going and how it ends, and this is the benefit we have as Christians today because we have the whole Bible. We know how what starts here in Genesis 12, how it actually ends. And friends, as Christians today, knowing where all this is going and how it ends actually is a tremendous blessing. And I wanna tell you today about how this all ends. See, something's gonna start here in Genesis 12 and it definitely has an ending because this right here in Genesis 12 is God's end game. And where does it end? This story of Abraham has three outcomes and these three outcomes affect every single one of us in this room. The first outcome of where all this is going is this, it's to rescue mankind. It's to redeem us. What we start reading today in Genesis 12 is all leading to the redemption of mankind. It's a rescue mission. It involves me, you, and everybody else from our sins. And this has always been God's plan. From the earliest moments of the garden, when God announced his judgment on Satan by informing him that ultimately he is going to lose, somebody is going to come and he's going to crush you. And that somebody that God was referring to is Jesus, who would be the savior of the world. From the very beginning, before the flood ever happened, God had a plan to redeem the world. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 in the New Testament says this to us For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are, un that are his very own, eager to do what is good." How does the story of Abraham end? 
It ends by us being rescued from our sins by Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. God is going to work through Abraham to bring about a nation who would bring about Jesus, who would bring about salvation. This is God's end game. This is how it all ends. There's another very important outcome to all this, and it's this, to bless mankind. To bless. So the rescue and to bless you know, it's evident, and I hope you saw this even in the very early stages of our study in this series, that, that, that God desires to be with man. We see that in the garden. So what God is gonna do is gonna work through Abraham and his descendants to bring about this blessing again. He wants to bless his people. Galatians chapter three, again, going to the New Testament, Galatians three verse seven says this, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. The Gentiles being all the other people, all the other nations who weren't Jewish, who weren't from this family. That God would justify them. Justify simply means to be made righteous. That God would justify them by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I read that, I'm like, God is for us. He's not against us. God wants to bless us. So we know that the outcome of what we're starting here in Genesis 12 is to rescue, to bless, and there's one final outcome of where all this is going, and that is to be with mankind forever. To be with mankind. This has ultimately always been God's desire, to be with his creation. Think about in the days of the garden, Adam and Eve, they walked freely with God and they talked with God and, and they were in this perfect, unified relationship with God. And I'm here to tell you today, that is still God's vision. That has always been his plan. And we get a snapshot of that because we know how this story ends and John gives us a snapshot of the end in heaven. And you know what he sees? Revelation 21.3, he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. How does all this end? Where is all of this going? To rescue mankind from their sins who is blessed beyond measure and living in a right relationship with God forever. That's how this story ends. You know, I look out at all of you and I, I certainly don't know all of you in the same way. You know, I, I know some of you better than, than others, and maybe that's just, you know, one of the downsides of being in the size of church that we are. But I personally don't know exactly where every single person in this room or in our whole church, exactly where they are in their walk with Christ. Maybe some of you are here today, and if you were being honest, um, you're not sure what you make of all this. Maybe you're just exploring it, and you'd even say, I don't know if I believe all this, but I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing. Maybe you're at the very beginning stages of this exploration. Maybe some of you grew up in church and then the moment you had free will over your life, you're like, fully on church, it's boring, I'm not going back, and, but here you are. You found yourself back in church and you're wondering, what is all this about? Maybe some of you have been sitting in church for years and if you're being honest, you say, I have not been walking with the Lord even though I've been sitting in church for years. The Lord's not been the leader of my life. 
Whatever brought you into this room today, man, I want you to know how thrilled I am that you are here. And I want you to understand that what we are studying together as a church, it is indeed God's end game to rescue and to bless and to be with all of us. And he wants that for each and every one of you in this room today. You may not know this right now, but the Lord has gone to great lengths to be with you. And you may not fully understand the fullness of his measure that he was willing to go to, to have this kind of relationship with you, to be in your life. But I'm here to tell you that life, walking with God, truly is and ultimately is the best life. This is a truth, this is a reality that Abraham would eventually learn through many ups and downs of his life. When we first meet Abraham in chapter, well, the end of chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12, his name is not Abraham. When we meet him, his name is Abram. And his wife, Sarah, is actually, her name originally was Sarai. It will be later that God will change their name to Abraham and Sarah. But they're the same people when we read about them. It's Abram and Sarai. And I'll just give you a heads up. When it says Abram, I may say Abraham just out of habit, and I'm talking about the same person. If I say Sarah, when it says Sarai, I'm talking about the same person. It's Abraham and Sarai, Sarah, Abram. It's the same people. So you got your Bibles? Look at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is a lot to take in in one conversation. Would you agree? Okay, I guess you don't agree. I guess you could handle it. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, yep, that is a lot to take in in one conversation, okay? So verse four, so Abram went, and the Lord, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, What's the land of Canaan and who are the Canaanites? Do you remember from our previous study? The Canaanites were the descendants of Ham. Ham's had a son named Canaan and his descendants. That's that, that, that branch on the Noah family tree that went off the rails, okay? They became the Canaanites and they are in the land that God told Abram to go to. Verse six, Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the next vague. There's a lot jammed into these, these first nine verses, but let me again, let me reiterate, what we are reading here in these nine verses is really the beginning of God's end game. God is calling Abram to leave his country and go to a completely different land. Now that land that God told Abram to go to is what we commonly refer to today as the promised land or the holy land. Back then, it was called the land of Canaan. And again, that's because the Canaanites were, were living there. 
There, there's just one little problem with all of this that God is telling Abraham to do. And, and from an outside perspective, we look into it and go, there, there's a problem here. And what is this problem? God says, Abram, you're going to be the father of, many, of this great nation. All your offspring are going to be, you know, more than the stars in the sky. Here's the problem. Abraham had no kids. And his wife, Sarah, she never had any kids. And they were at an age where their time of bringing children into the world had passed them by. Abraham was 75 years old. And his wife was about 10 years younger than him. And this is during a day when people lived a little bit longer than they do today still. But even at 75, this is beyond what would be normal for somebody to bring a new life into the world. Later, a couple chapters in, if you look at Genesis 15 verse 5, it'll be on the screen behind me. This is what God says to Abram. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram's like, okay, I believe you. I believe you. There's things that don't make sense, but I believe you. You know, I don't know this to be a fact, but I think my very first exposure to the story of Abraham came when I was a kid in Sunday school or children's church. How many of you grew up like me that like, like if the doors of the church were open, you were there, all right? And, and like, so you grew up going to Sunday school, children's church, junior worship, camp, everything else. Did you grow up running the halls of the church? I did. So if you're like me, then you probably know, maybe you were introduced to Abraham the same way I was. It was through music. Do you know what song I happen to be referring to? This is a song that has been used to teach millions of little children about Abraham, and we are gonna sing it together, all right? Okay, so if you know the song, you can just join in and sing with me. And if you know the motions, you go right ahead. And if you spend the next 60 seconds in your seat wondering what you've gotten yourself into, I can promise you we don't do this every week. All right, let's sing it together. All the kids that grew up in church. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, Father Abraham. You, oh, you guys sound awesome. Why are you not all up here in the choir? I don't know. No, that's right. Okay, yeah. So you go right arm, left arm. It starts all over again. And then what do you do? Right leg, left leg, stand up, sit down, spin around. And maybe I'm off of you and I'm out of rhythm. Okay, that's the song. You know, and, and you know, you probably also grew up in the era, you know, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Okay, well, that's another sermon. That's another sermon, another day. Okay, okay. You know, I think, honestly, I think... Um, I think that's how I was introduced to the story of Abraham, Father Abraham, and, and out of him, God would create this incredible nation that would ultimately bring us Jesus, the Bible, and salvation. And that's a silly little song, but don't we remember it? And it's all about what's happening in, in, in Genesis 12. So God tells Abram, pack your bags, you're heading off to a new country. And the, the fascinating thing to me is even at his age, he just went and, and, and just, just said, okay. And he did not even know where he was going. 
What incredible faith. That's why we always remember him. Now, from the outside, as I mentioned, there, there's a couple details here that from an outsider's perspective doesn't make any sense. For one, um, Abraham's the wrong dude for this. He really is. You know, his father was an idol worshiper. Did you know that? I think in today's language, we would say, man, that guy's not even from a Christian family. Maybe that's how we would say that. Abraham, it's just like, that's the wrong guy. This family doesn't follow God. These, you know, what, what's going on here? Not only that, we've already mentioned that Abram was well beyond uh, time for having children. And actually, before the promise is fulfilled, Abraham would be 100 years old before his wife gives birth to Isaac. She would be 90. So you look at this, you take a step back, and you say, I wanna get a clear picture of what God is doing here. God chooses this elderly, infertile couple to build a nation out of. And this nation is ultimately going to redeem mankind of their sins, to bless them, and to create opportunity for all people to be with God. Is that what's going on here? Yes, that's exactly what's going on here. This will not be the last time in the Bible that you will see God use the most unlikely of people to do his will. It really won't. God uses the least likely of people on just about every page of the Bible. This is what God, this is what God, God does. And let me just run you through a laundry list of famous people in the Bible and you're gonna see what I mean. Abraham, we just saw, he was too old. Isaac was insecure. Leah, we haven't got to her story yet. She was unattractive. Joseph was a slave. Moses stuttered. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah, disobedient. Naomi was a widow. Mary, a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist was eccentric. He ate bugs, okay? He just did. He ate <laughs> bugs. It's in the Bible. You can read it. Peter was impulsive. Martha worried herself to death. The Samaritan woman had many failed marriages. Thomas had his doubts. Paul was in poor health. Timothy was a timid person. The Bible, you read it. You read about all these people. It is not a book full of perfect people living in perfect times, experiencing perfect scenarios. No, it is all about how God uses the most unlikely of people to accomplish his purposes. Like in Genesis 12, picking an elderly, infertile couple to populate a nation that would ultimately bring about the rescue of mankind, a blessing, and an opportunity for all people to be with the Lord forever. Why does God use imperfect and unlikely people? I can tell you exactly why. It is so he will get the glory, so nobody could ever say it was by their strength and their ability, and is the same reason why God uses any of us today, because it is not about us, and it's not about our talents and gifts. It is about what God is doing through us, and we see it all over the Bible. It should not surprise any of us that when God wanted to start a prison ministry, he would use an ex-con to do it named Chuck Colson. It shouldn't surprise us at all that when God wants to teach the world something about joy, he uses a quadriplegic named Joni Erickson Tata to teach us that lesson. But what was it about Abraham and Sarah that God chose them out of everybody else? It comes down to this one word, and this is what they're remembered for. Faith. Faith. God told them to go, and they just went. 
Abraham went. So I've tried to put some words on faith and try, what is faith? Well, I can tell you from Genesis 12, you know what faith is? Faith is obeying God when you don't know where you're going. That is faith. Faith is obeying God when you don't know where you're going. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you had this kind of talk with God? God, if you want me to go, I'll go. When was the last time you were that available to God? If God says to do it, I'm just gonna do it. I don't care what the world thinks about it. I'm not talking about hearing voices in your head and I'm not talking about having some kind of strange vision to do something, but when was the last time, I mean, you were really burdened. I mean, you were Holy Spirit burdened to do something and you were like, all right, Lord, if this is from you, I am so in, I will go. I'm your man, I'm your woman, I will do it. To me, that, that is faith. Abraham just believed God. He said, I'll, I'll go. And it says in fifth, chapter 15, verse six, it was credited to him as, as righteousness. You know, as we move into the New Testament, the New Testament has a lot to say about Abraham and a lot of the New Testament writers connect the dots of what's happening in Genesis with Abraham and what's happening to us as Christ followers today. Romans chapter four, verse 18 says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. What is faith? Faith is obeying. Faith is also this. Faith is believing against all hope. Faith is like, I'm fully persuaded that what God said is true. I am fully persuaded that God's promises are real. I am fully persuaded that God knows more than me and knows what's best for me, even if I can't see it in the moment. Faith is obeying. Faith is believing against all hope. And I would sum it up like this. This is a question that every single one of us in this room has to wrestle with on a constant basis. It's this, do I believe God? Do I believe God? How you answer that question can radically and fundamentally change your life and many outcomes that you may be experiencing today. Do I believe God? So like you don't get the job that you applied for or you don't get you know, into the school that you wanted to get into. You don't make the team that you were hoping to make. Do you believe that all things work together for the good of those who love them? Maybe you struggle with generosity. Do you believe God when he says, it is more blessed to give than receive? Do you believe God? I talk to a lot of people in my line of work and I, I end up talking to a lot of couples and young and old and from all different kinds of backgrounds and, and we often have conversations about how the world says to go about this relationship and how God says to go about the relationship. You know how many times I've had conversations with couples and like I said, not just young couples, older couples and marriage, second marriages, third marriages, widow, divorce, everything. And 
What does the world say is the right way to go about a relationship? What do we see on TV? What's in the movies? What, what's the world say? This is, this is how it's done. You meet somebody and you're all like, hey, you, you go through that stage. <laughs> the world says that stage goes to sleeping together. And then you sleep together and then you figure out, do we have a future? And then the future says, maybe we do, maybe we don't. Let's move in together and figure it out. And then maybe one day, this might turn into a marriage. Most of the time, it does not. That's what the world says. This is what's best for you. This is what makes sense financially. This is what you do. You gotta figure this out before you commit. But that's not what the word of God says. The word of God says there's a, there's a proper order of doing these things and you trust God every step of the way and, and, and this is how it, how it goes, that there's certain aspects of this relationship that are saved for marriage and you trust God in all these things. And I have this conversation with a lot of people. Do you believe that God knows what's best for this relationship or do you want to go about it in your own way? It all comes down. This is where the rubber meets the road in faith. That's just one of a thousand examples. Now, let me say this too. Because we live in a world, and, and if you all had the microphone, you could probably say, that's not how we went about our relationship. But aren't you glad that God redeems? Aren't you glad that, that God can take something that didn't go the right path and completely redeem it and make it wonderful? Don't you, aren't you glad that God is a God who cares more about where you're going than where you've been? I am. But it comes down to this. What do you believe God wants you? What is God's best? Do you believe God? That's where your faith, the rubber meets the road. Now, Abraham had that kind of faith. And we see that in Genesis chapter 12. This is, this is uh, so important. This is why he's remembered. But here's what's really interesting. And I wanna be very clear about this. Abraham was a great man of faith, but he was not perfect. And that makes him a real dude, doesn't it? That makes him a real person. He, it makes him like you and me, where we wanna be people of great faith, but boy, if we really unpacked the journey we've been on, it's checkered full of mistakes and head scratchers. And there's probably, some of you, I do this with myself, it's like, what was I thinking? Before we get to the end of chapter 12, the Abraham, this great man of faith who obeyed God when he didn't even know where he was going, he is going to experience an incredible lack of faith. In fact, fear is gonna come in and dominate his life. We're not gonna read it together. I'm gonna trust that you are reading it, but let me just tell you, so he goes, for, he leaves his home country, he goes to where God tells him to go, he builds altars all along the way, and he's worshiping God, and then a famine happens in the land. And you know what Abraham does? It's like, oh, I gotta get out of here. And he flees to Egypt. You read about this in the last part of chapter 12. And he goes to Egypt and all of a sudden fear begins to dominate every decision he makes. You know what he talks his wife into doing? He talks his wife into lying. And he says, when we get there, the Egyptians are gonna think that you're the stuff and they're gonna find out that we're married and they're gonna kill me and they're gonna take you and we can't let that happen. And Sarah's like, you're right, we can't. So they go to Egypt and they lie to everybody and they say, Sarah is the sister of Abraham. And you know what happens? Pharaoh certainly indeed takes notice of Sarah and he brings her into his harem. In other words, you're gonna be one of my ladies now. This is not the part or the side of Abraham that we're used to talking about, is it? 
Now Abraham, the great man of faith, Father Abraham and all. No, a great man of righteousness, yes. He pulled off some head scratchers in his life. And this is, this is one of them. Fear creeps in. So in one chapter of the Bible, great faith to fear. And I wanna share this with you. Fear leads God's people into doubt, not faith. It's exactly what's gonna happen in Abraham. It leaves them, fear leads us into doubting, not faith. Time and time again in the Bible, we read things like, fear not, be of good courage. The followers of God are to have this kind of faith in the Lord, like, I trust you, I will not be afraid, because Lord, you said you're not gonna leave me, you're not gonna forsake me, I'm gonna walk with you, and we, we live, and we, we forge ahead with great courage and boldness, and I wasn't there, but it seems like Abraham was not thinking logically. Because what did God just promise him? I will make out of you a great nation. Your offspring are gonna be so great that it will be more than the stars in the sky. And when Abram goes to Egypt, he had no children. And logic should have kicked in. If I believe God's word, they can't hurt me. They can't kill me. Because God's promise has not been fully revealed yet. Now, we can look back in judgment, of course, and, and, and be like, why didn't you do that? But in the moment, fear took over and created doubt. I believe he was doubting whether he was gonna be safe or not. Now, was his fear unfounded? No, it wasn't, because what he feared is exactly what happened. They liked Sarah, and they brought her into Pharaoh's family. God's plan to bring a redeemer in the world through the offspring of Abraham and Sarah, meaning that it would be Abraham's seed that would bring about the chosen people and ultimately the chosen one, Jesus. Well, right here in Egypt, basically Abraham is offering his wife to another man. And there's a real possibility that Sarah would have a child with him. Now, isn't this messed up? Thankfully, as you read, God intervenes. God's not going to allow Pharaoh or this lack of faith or this doubt or this fear interfere with his plans. God inflicts Pharaoh and his entire household with diseases. We don't know how Pharaoh figured it out that Sarah and Abram were actually married, but when he does, he's angry as you can be and he kicks them out of Egypt and it's a good thing he did. Abraham's sin, well, it put the whole house of Pharaoh in jeopardy. And it's just another example of how one man's sin can negatively impact so many other people. And what's really sad is this, this action that we're reading about here in chapter 12, it will repeat itself again. Do you realize this is not gonna be the last time that Abraham will try to uh, pass off his wife as his sister because he's afraid? Well, friends, we're just scratching the surface of Abraham's story. Um, he is a real person to me, and he's just like all of us. Moments of great faith and moments of fear and doubt, but God is gonna do something really special through his life and he will be remembered as a man of great, obedient, righteous faith. As I said last week, one of the things that I really appreciate about the Bible is that it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't hide the flaws of our biblical heroes and that's certainly true of Abram. And But what unfolds over the course of his life though, man, examples of great faith. And I think one of the greatest, if not the greatest example of faith that we'll be studying about is when he actually does have this son named Isaac, his one and only son. And God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Oh, that will be an interesting piece of scripture to study together. 
At the end of the day, friends, God calls us to walk by faith. And that's what I take away from Genesis chapter 12 on a practical everyday day, day way to step out into the unknown saying, God, I trust you and I believe you and I'm gonna believe your word. That it's okay as Christians to move forward when you don't have all the details because walking with faith doesn't require all the details. It's just trust. And what do we trust and what do we believe? We believe and we take God's word at face value. Fear is the enemy of God's people. Fear will cause us and tempt us to take matters into our own hands. And I wonder, just wonder, I don't know, how many of us in this room today are living and acting more in a response to fear than faith. When fear creeps in, we need to remind ourselves about God's promises, what God has already done for us, and what God says he will do for us in the future. Let me end with this. The prophet Isaiah had this word from God to all the Israelites, and it's a good word to us today too. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Same God today as back then. I think some of us need that word today. Can I pray for you? Dear gracious God, man, I just thank you, Lord, for the part of the scripture that we are diving into today. And as we start to unpack your end game, Lord, help us to understand fully, Lord, how this all ends. It's to rescue us, redeeming us, Lord, to bless us and ultimately create an opportunity for every single person to be with you forever. I pray for our church today, Lord, that we will take hold of these truths and that we will live every day. These will be the foundation of our faith, the rubber meets the road part of our faith, where we will walk out of here committed to believing the words of God and obeying that you have the best plan for our lives and not what the world tells us. Lord, I pray you give us a real sense of discernment today that we can discern clearly between what is of you and what you want and what the world is telling us we should do. Lord, I pray that in all circumstances, big or small, that we would look to you and we would seek out your ways. Lord, help us to be a people that have the attitude, Lord, wherever you send me, I will go. Whatever you want in my life, I will do it. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this room today who's walking the path right now of some real guilt and shame. Because Lord, we haven't always made the right choices. We've been more like the Abraham in Egypt, not the Abraham in the promised land. And Lord, I pray that today would be a changing day. That Lord, whatever our past may be, whatever checkered it may look like, that we would just draw a line in the sand and say, I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I press on to take hold of that for which you've called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. Lord, I pray we be a people that fully understands and believes that you care more about where we're going than where we've been, that we've been redeemed, we've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus, and that we can look out into the horizon with hope and a future, knowing that Ultimately, we will be with you. 
Lord, thank you for loving us despite our lack of faith, despite our fear. Thank you for walking with us even when it doesn't seem like we're walking with you. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.